crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Noctegal. Thank you very much for listening in today. I'm coming to you from Jerusalem as per usual, although today's content comes to you from Tel Shiloh. On Friday afternoon, I was privileged to go out to that location uh, in the center of Samaria, the hill country of Ephraim, and there interviewed Dr. Scott Stripling. He's the director of the Shiloh Excavations. They've just completed their third season, and he's in town for a three-week three weeks stint going through a lot of the material of previous excavations, sifting through that material uh, and, and really using a modern-day technology to uh, find what they missed in those previous excavations. And so he's here with some of his team for three weeks to make the most of the opportunity. We went out there, and he was uh, kind enough uh, to give us about a 20-minute interview about the significance of the Shiloh excavations, these renewed Shiloh excavations, as well as what they're doing there today. I would, will say, though, just before we started our interview, that somebody screamed out from their sifting station talking about that they'd found some type of seal or a scarab of, or some, uh, of some type. I, and I was so busy thinking about this interview that I forgot to even look at it. But it just highlighted the fact that Every day they are finding things out at Shiloh, sifting through this material. Uh, thankfully, uh, the material, by material I mean dirt, basically the buckets of dirt that were removed from the excavation of previous excavators, they kind of dumped them right next to where they excavated, which is kind of nice. So even though the, the, the context of these discoveries is lost, let's say the specific layer we know that they came from the area just adjacent to it. And so all these finds are extremely important to be documenting to tell the full history of Shiloh, the headquarters of uh, Israel for a good 300 years. And so what we're going to do today is just cut across to that interview. Again, it's about 20 minutes, and uh, Dr. Stripling was very kind to uh, take some of our questions. If you do have some feedback or some questions about the excavation, itself. Uh, I might be able to pass them along to him and see if we can get his answers if this does uh, prompt you in any way. But this is, again, a very important excavation, uh, renewed excavations. They've been going on for three years, and I think they're going to go on for another three years as well. And so we're looking forward to the results that come from this. But for now, we'll cut away to the interview from a few days ago. This is Watch Jerusalem. Thank you for listening. I'm here with Dr. Scott Stripling, the provost at uh, the Bible Sem Seminary, if I'm correct, yes. in Katy, Texas. Is that how you say it? That's right. Great. And you are the director of the renewed uh, Shiloh Excavations. I believe you're in your third season, or just completed your third season. That's correct. And you're here in the middle of the winter. You know, you want to know it from today because it's beautiful out. Well, we wish we had this weather in the summertime, believe me. Uh, we've completed three seasons, but we're doing a short winter season here where we're going back and sifting some of the older material, and I'm training my team on how to do effective wet sifting. Okay, so this this is a couple-week exercise? Of three, three weeks. Three weeks mm -hmm. exercise, great. So if you could just briefly just talk about the 
snapshot of the biblical history at Shiloh so we can get some a couple of dates in mind mm. for people and what happened here, just the high spots, and then we'll talk about your recent excavations. Okay, so the chronology is that Joshua and the Israelites, according to Joshua 18.1, arrive at Shiloh in about 1400, 1399, just maybe the beginning of the 14th century. Uh, the text says that the tabernacle is erected here at Shiloh, and if you do the math, it's here for a little over three centuries. Um, we have continuous occupation through that time period. We have a Philistine destruction that we have now have evidence of. Uh, then we have a reoccupation of the site. Uh, the Bible talks about the prophet Amichai, who's here a bit later. And then we go through the Second Temple period with continuous occupation as well. Uh, we have Byzantine and a little bit of early Islamic. So the pre-Israelite foundation is about 1750 BC, what okay. we would call MB2, all the way through the Islamic period. Okay, so I'm interested of why you're even back here, because this is a heavily excavated site at least as in terms of Israel, obviously there's much more to mm -hmm. dig and almost a century of excavation mm -hmm. from the very beginning and then more excavations in the 80s, I believe, and now you're back here. What drove you to come back? Did you feel like there was more mm. information, I guess? Absolutely. Well, first of all, just behind us is where the Danish dug. 1922 is when they first broke ground, so we're coming up Centenary on the 100th. <laughs> yeah, they've joined back in with us. We oh, have no a way. Danish team that's no working, way. so it's really exciting to have them as part of it. Uh, they did four seasons of excavation, but in the 1920s, their methodology was, you know, quite primitive compared to ours, and they only did a small section. Then Israel Finkelstein in the early 1980s did four seasons, but again, that was a very limited area. So it's not maybe 5% of the tell had been dug, and you really can't interpret something based on 5% of the findings. It could be inconclusive. So what we're doing is we're connecting the work that the Danish did with the work that Finkelstein did, opening up a broad area so that we're not subject to misinterpretation, hopefully, and okay. then we can understand it better. So this is a huge tell. Yeah. Uh, what, how big is it? It's five acres uh, inside the fortification okay. wall. So just here is the large fortification wall. It encircles the site with storage rooms uh, all, of, all around. So you chose, why did you chose specifically this northern edge? Do you feel like there's more information to gain here? Or? It seemed like we had a great depth here. So like if you okay. went just, just here to the south a bit, it's very shallow. Mm -hmm. But here, I could tell that there was a, a great depth, and you could see where the outside of the wall was, and so I knew that we would get a real clear look, undisturbed look, at what the profile was throughout history. And it's proven to be true because, I mean, we have a, a monumental Iron Age building here, an early Roman building next to it, then we've got the Iron Age one material next to it, and then the Bronze Age material next to it. Right. So it's enabling us to see the, uh, the, the entire panorama. Great. Um... So I'm thinking just in terms of the biblical history that took place here, what have you discovered from the time of the Shiloh occupation or, or mm. when the tabernacle was here specifically? <clears throat> okay, several things. Number one, the storage rooms that I mentioned. Those storage rooms are full of storage jars from the period of the tabernacle. Were they... Were they squashed were they or yeah, they bro they... we haven't found any that were not broken okay many of them are restorable though okay, okay so we're restoring them um, that fits the tabernacle culture because when people came here they brought tithes and there had to be a place to store those no other site in Israel has storage rooms all the way around so that is unique to Shiloh it's what I would call Brent verisimilitude you read it in the text and then you find a material culture that's very consistent with what you would expect it to be right we also found just behind me here a ceramic pomegranate 
that is a motif of the tabernacle. You'll remember that the priest on the hem of right. their garments, they had uh, bells and pomegranates right. that alternated. And these have been found at a few sites in Israel, but only at priestly sites or Levitical sites. And so again, this is a tabernacle motif. Also in Solomon's temple, there were 200 pomegranates right. that adorned it. Uh, this last year, right here, we found- So that pomegranate uh, specifically, it was found in this area right, yeah, right over here. here. Mm -hmm. And that, what, what was the dating of that pomegranate? We dated it to Iron One, okay. uh, Iron Age One, so the period of the tabernacle okay. again. Um, right near it, this last season, um, underneath this tarped area here and to the side of it, we found three horns from a four-horned altar. Now, that's very significant right. because you're at a size that the Bible says there was a sacrificial system, and now we have horns. I haven't even published them academically yet because it just happened, but uh, so, so that's been very a brief, exciting. a brief thing, uh, like a blurb or an abstract oh, of right. something of the horns that have We been... released, a, did a press release okay. that the media, you know, a lot of media covered, but right. that's not the full academic publication. Yeah, well, we're you know, waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to find some time to work on it, that's believe fine, me. That's fine. So we have a pomegranate, horns of an altar storage rooms from the tabernacle and a massive quantity of animal bones okay. and those bones are only bones from the biblical sacrificial system yeah this is this is really interesting for yeah. me how do you, how do you know that they're from the biblical sacrificial system were they just found in your excavations or were they found previously is that what some of your sifting people are doing? Uh, if you can answer all Sure. Um, they, the previous excavation in the 80s, they uncovered behind us in Area D a massive bone deposit. And all the bones were, were zoo, zoo archaeologically studied. And so that's where we know how, what percentage of sheep, goat, cattle, and so forth. We, in our field, also have thousands of bones every year. And so all of those are studied and we know what animal they came from. What we also now know, Brent, is whether the bones are from the right side of the animal or from the left side of the animal. And we have a preponderance of bones, approximately, it varies from field to field, but about 60% of the bones, thousands of bones, right. are from the right side and 40% from the left side. Okay. Now, it's impossible that that's a statistical anomaly. Right. So there has to be an explanation. Right. Well, if one is a Bible reader, one can go to Leviticus 7, and see that the right side of the animal was the priest's portion. And that's who's living here at Shiloh. You don't have the common population living here. They're coming here from all over, but it's the priests who are living here. So again, verisimilitude. Right. You, you read it in the text, you find a material culture that's consistent. Great. And um, back in the 80s, I guess, when, when some of these bone deposits were found, right, there wasn't, there wasn't an awareness of that fact at that point if I'm correct. Correct. Well, uh, Professor Finkelstein did a good job of recording what he found, okay. and he even noted that more bones were from the right than from the oh, left. Oh, he did note that. So he but knew he didn't. That. He knew it, but he didn't know how to interpret it. Right. Okay. okay. Um, he doesn't spend a lot of time reading the Bible. Uh, he wasn't aware of that fact, I suppose, because he had the data, but he didn't register. Now, in fairness, maybe another archaeologist really knows the Egyptian literature well or the Ugaritic literature. Well, that's an advantage. Same right. thing with the biblical. But literature. it definitely speaks to the value of having a biblical understanding to excavate the lands of the Bible. Well, I think it's our go-to source in this part of the world. Right. Shiloh is not mentioned in Egypt. It's not mentioned in Mesopotamia. It's only mentioned in the Bible. And so that's our go-to source. I'm just, uh, every time I come here, I've only been here a few times, um, but I, I notice that we are surrounded by higher peaks mm. and a wide valley here to the, to the right. west as well. And I was just thinking this is, uh, I'm just coming to me now, but 
why do you think this location was originally chosen? Is there something extra special about here? Do you think it's just the geography? Do you, I don't. There's no record of any Abrahamic or hmm. patriarchal event here, and yet this was chosen as the center of worship for 300 years. Do you have just any thoughts on that? I, I do. I've got an opinion on everything. Okay. okay. <laughs> Remember, we have the saying where there are two archaeologists, there are three opinions. Right. Okay. So I've got plenty of opinions. Uh, there was already a city here. Okay, so this was already an Amorite site. Okay. This fortification wall was here when the Israelites got here. Okay. So God had promised them, you're going to occupy cities that you did not build. Right. You're going to live in houses that you did not construct. So when they come to Shiloh, there's no battle. There's no conflict here. Right. Just like at Shechem, at the end of Joshua 8, when they go to Shechem to renew covenant there, there's no conflict there. The, the people from Shechem join in with the Israelites. Mm -hmm. So it's my view that in the Bronze Age city-state system that we have the Shechem city-state, which includes Shiloh, the large center at Shechem, and then the satellites like Shiloh that are part of that Shechem city-state. They have an affinity with the Israelites. And there is a... The, there is a deal in the Bible that's worked out with the Shechemites earlier yeah, on, correct? Yeah, and Abraham has deep ties at Shechem right, too. Right. So you've got the Megiddo city-state, the Jerusalem city-state, the Hatsor city-state. There is conflict with those, but in this area there's not. So why do they come here? I think it's because they're at peace with the people uh, of this region and they inherit the infrastructure that's already here. I mean, infrastructure is a fortune, right. and so they just inherit this entire infrastructure. Yeah, and I think that's I think it's really significant to note that this is, it was in continual use and you don't have a destruction layer because you've been describing to me the Middle Bronze Age wall, which right. is before the Israelites, Amorite mm. as you say, and then they come and, and you've got that same city wall being used continuously through when the tabernacle was here. But what you have found, I think last season or the season before, is we know it when at that at that city was actually destroyed, right? At least partially. Ye the, the city that the Israelites came into, we do not have evidence of destruction. Okay. Much earlier, right below us here, uh, there's a burn layer that's about this thick from hundreds of years before the Israelites okay. were here. There was another conflict that we know nothing okay. about. And then we have a later burn level right here, which is the Philistine destruction of Shiloh, which is very interesting because the Bible doesn't come right out and tell you right. that the Philistines destroyed Shiloh. It hints at it. Right. But as, as of last season, I think we can synchronize the archaeology with the biblical text right here. So that's, this is something that's really important for people to know is that you can't just gain all the information from the Bible at recovering the history. The Bible speaks of what it needs to speak of, the very important details. But this is, was, the, was an enigma of Shiloh. Right. When was it destroyed? Does it, does it relate to the, the, the taking of the ark uh, from here and the battle with the Philistines right. or not? But that, you're the date that you have separate from the Bible completely, because the Bible doesn't talk about it, you're saying that that kind of is in that ballpark. Very close. Very um, close. What I estimated, there was a floor right here that we removed last summer, a plaster floor. For us, that's very important. We call it a sealed locus. Mm -hmm. That means what's underneath it has not been disturbed. So we can be very confident when we date it. So I said, if there is a destruction layer under here and we can get carbon material, I predict that it's going to date to 1075 BC. Okay. Um, and I let everybody make bets on what they thought it would be, but <laughs> I, I said, this is, this is what I think it's going to be. So we did have a destruction layer, we did carbon dated, and it came back to 1060 plus or minus 30. Okay. which is 1075. So we nailed it right on the spot. That synchronizes with the biblical date. So once again, you have the archaeology and the biblical record very, very similar. Great. Uh, is there anything else that you think is 
important to discuss relating to discoveries over the past few years. You've got the pomegranate, the horned altars, you have the destruction layer that matches the biblical text, you have the, the bones that match the sacrificial system. Are there any other points of contact with the Bible uh, mm. in the archaeology here that you can speak of? We have a large monumental building from the period of the tabernacle that we're focusing on this next season especially, and that will be very interesting. And that's to located see. towards the top? No, it's in our field right ah, here. Ah, sorry, right mm -hmm. here. Okay. Uh, so that will be a focus of this coming season, so you'll have to check with me, uh, check back with <laughs> well, me on if, results if you, from if that. If you allow me, I'd love to do this yearly just to, to well, catch, to I, catch I up. I would love to, to do that. Appreciate your interest in Shiloh. <laughs> Uh, just one more uh, other couple of questions. You've already kind of spoken to this a bit. Um, how valuable is it for you to have a knowledge of the biblical text mm. when you excavate here? Here especially, it's very critical because without a knowledge of those those details, like Leviticus 7 mentioning the, the right side of the animal and th that type of intimate knowledge, how do we make sense of anomalies when we come across them? So even geographically, when, when Robinson identified this site, he took the Bible and the Bible gave specific geographic landmarks and it led him to this place and nobody doubts now that this was, was Shiloh. So I have found it working here in Israel and in Jordan when I worked there that a knowledge of the Bible is very critical. And to this point, have you found something that you've that does present a conundrum here in what your, let's say, your interpretation of the biblical text is uh, to what you've found. Is there any questions mm. in your mind about, oh, well, that kind of doesn't gel with what I thought it might have been? There are. I mean, one doesn't jump out freshly from my mind, but I, I there are times that that happens. And But I always remind myself and others that 5% of Israel has been excavated right. and 5% uh, of this tale has been excavated. So if there's an absence of evidence, you think it might be in the other 95%. So normally if we're patient, we keep digging, clarification comes over time. Recently there was a, um, uh, a, a, an article in Fox News and it talked to, this is what its, its title was this. Uh, you, you actually... Um, on Facebook, you had a post about it mm. because some of the aspects of it were inaccurate, you said. It said, ancient Westbank's, West Bank site draws Christians and controversy. And this is part of the course for most, I would mm. say, reporting. Um, how do you deal with the, let's say, the anti-Bible, I'm just going to go out there and say, mm -hmm. anti-Bible reporting that comes out when it, or not even anti-Bible, just the the excavations here being always framed in a current day political uh, mm -hmm. environment is that we'll speak to that if you can. it's a challenge um, we truly are apolitical I probably some people won't believe that but if if Palestinians were in charge we would be working cooperatively with them uh, if Jordanians were in charge we'd be working cooperatively with them um, so we have a great working relationship here with the community with the Antiquities Authority. But we're, unfortunately, we're in the crosshairs. We are in Judea, Samaria, Area C, West Bank, whatever you, mm -hmm. you know, each one has its right, own connotation right, right. with it. And of, at Shiloh, of all places, which is maybe the most important site in this area. So it puts us kind of in the crosshairs. We do, I think we do a pretty good job at building bridges, though, even with those who disagree with us. I'm very complimentary of other archaeologists, of their work. I think we, we have to be able to 
have freedom to disagree, to think outside the box, to welcome that sort of dialogue. It doesn't bother me at all. Right. Um, I, I just want fair treatment. Right. Um, yeah. And most of the time we get it. Do you think in, and this is the last question, maybe the second last, I want to end in a positive. <laughs> Do you think that the Israeli system of education for archaeologists mm. has, um, is preparing its students to be able to excavate the biblical sites um, well enough? Or do you, do you see most of your excavators that come with you from universities from America mm. instead of, of Israel? And are they, do you feel like they're being educated enough? And not the theology of the Bible, but the geography of the Bible, mm-hmm. this, the history of the Bible that allows them to be good, intelligent excavators in, in Israel. Well, you may get me in trouble with this question, but I I think that there should be more of an emphasis on biblical education. There has been for the last generation, like, you can't bring these two words. There's theology, biblical theology, and then there's archaeology. Uh, As a result, you have many archaeologists who don't know the basics of the... I study literature. I have a master's in English also, but I mean, I study literature of all cultures. I'm interested in learning that. Of all places, it should be here. And when I have spoken at universities here, it has struck me how interested the students are in the biblical mm-hmm. material that I bring up and how unaware of it that they are. So I think there's room for improvement on that end. But let me end on a positive by saying we learn daily from our Israeli colleagues also. And I have today with me, I've got a couple of Israeli staff members over here. We work with four Israeli universities. And so it's very interdisciplinary, uh, high-tech uh, material that we're doing. So. It works together. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. All the best. Well done coming back here in the middle of winter. You've been blessed with beautiful weather. And uh, hopefully the summer, uh, the cooler temperatures prevail as well. Inshallah. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you, Brennan.